So I had a random thought the other day. What if you did a reverse game where your players were the dragons and the DM was the adventurers coming to either fight them or help them? I've done this. Have you? I've legit done this. Yeah. I, I think there's a module in 3.5 that you all play as dragon wormlings. Nice. And there's uh, and it's a party that is trying to hunt you down and you try to get out of it. So I've done that. I played a copper, I believe. Nice. I like it. I like it. Oh, me? Would I do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about doing it before, but I do like that idea. Yeah. I got nothing against that. Yeah. I want to play in that game, but oh, I yeah. mean, you guys all know I want to be a dragon. So <laughs> I had that thought as a player. I want to be a dragon, please. <laughs> Even even if you're playing Please. like the most unaligned to a dragon character, you're like, mm -hmm. eventually I would like to be a dragon. Thank I you. want to be a dragon. Please. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I just made a dragon born Drake Warden. So that's as like close as I can get. That's right. Dra Dragony dragon that ever dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going She's... to dip into draconic blooded sorcerer? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I'm in the death house right now. So we'll see if I make it out of there before you get that's in the that's like your PC being like a D&D &D furry at that point. It's like, yeah. let it go, dude. Okay. <laughs> Come back to the real material plane. Okay. Stop Why aren't you playing a gnome artificer? <laughs> I do. I do have a gnome artificer. Hey! <laughs> awesome. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our discussion about dragons in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I am Terry and with me today are Pepperina and Dan and this episode is called Fizzband's Metallic Dragons Shiny New Details. Ooh. We previously covered all the chromatic and metallic dragons that you can find in the 5th edition monster manual as well as all sorts of dragon related creatures and templates. We even spent an episode waxing poetic about what powers and inspirations exist for dragons in previous editions as well as all of the named dragons we could find in 5th editions before Fizzbands came out. The last couple of dragon episodes focused on some of the updates from Fizzbands. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on dragons that we built there. This episode of the It's Mimic podcast is going to help flesh out further nuance when it comes to using metallic dragons in D&D 5th edition. This panel of Dungeon Masters rifles through the pages of Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons to see what else the five main good dragons have to offer outside the Monster Manual. And stay tuned for the end of the episode where we're going to look into the metallic Great Worm. We've spoken in the past about how the dragons in the Monster Manual seem to be nothing but big pools of hit points with breath weapons and the majesty in Terra is lacking now. While the lore seems flavorful enough, the mechanics don't always back it up, and it's odd that most of the paragons of good that are metallic dragons from the published books all need additional powers to make them more than a special breath weapon and the ability to shape change. So, Pepperina and Dan, after doing your research, do you still feel like metallic dragons are underwhelming? We can roll. You want to roll for this one? Sure, let's roll. I got a three again. Oh, great. I got an eight. I, I got a one. Okay. <laughs> First, with, first with an eight man um okay so i definitely am a bigger fan of chromatic dragons than metallic dragons but oh. yeah <laughs> me too uh, he, big surprise as you know i said in a previous one i wanted to be tiamat <laughs> But I do really like the flavor that comes out of Fizzbins with all of the charts and stuff. I think it adds a lot and you can 
um, customize your dragons a little bit more, and it gives you the opportunity to even go evil with your metallic dragons. Yeah, or or at least at least like violent, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's their their goals might at the end day, end of the day be still greater good, but vengeance is a very real thing here, and and uh, I like it. Um, mechanic, like they've given us a lot of flavor. Mechanically, they're still weak. Um, and and yay, I'm happy we have some spells. Mechanically, they're still weak, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of the spells that I, I I got for the ones that I covered are things like Zone of Truth. Okay, cool. How am I using that in a combat situation? I'm not tell you. I mean, polymorph, sure. Yeah, that that works. But Zone of Truth, really? Um, so I they still. Don't quite hit that goal, that ideal that I have set in my mind for how to run dragons, but they're closer. So, I mean, it's an improvement. It's just not, they went from like a a C minus to a B. They're they're still not, they're not, they're not quite crossing that 87% yet. Right. I'm going to respectfully disagree with Dan here. I think what (laughs) has happened is this has been, the dragons have become very fifth edition like, and fifth edition is lots of flavor. It's lots of thematics. It's not like previous editions where it's very mechanically heavy. And so what metallic dragons have offered us now, when we see, we get more detail into their layers, how their layers are laid out, what uh, advantages the dragon may have within there, how the encounters are now geared to more of puzzles, like exploration or social encounters, or their spells are more related to how they might manipulate them or put their enemy at a disadvantage within a combat tie that all in with some new regional effects some new layer actions and the and the uh the laying out of their layers you make for much more interesting combat encounters without directly using damage dealing abilities uh so that's why i'm i'm really into what they've done with their metallic dragons now cool Perfect. Okay. Well, we are going to kick it off. Brass dragons are known to be the weakest of the metallic dragons, but also one of the most benign of the species of dragons. They they love to talk and they love to talk to the exclusion of most other things. They love to engage friends and foes alike in hours of long-winded conversations, and it is not unusual for a brass dragon to be fluent in several hundred different languages. But that's, uh, that's what we know about brass dragons so far, Pepperina, but why don't you tell us what we should know? Yeah. Um, well, I will start off with the quote from Fizbins at the top of the brass dragon section, um, where he says, bards sometimes seek out brass dragon layers in hopes that the dragon's whimsy will enhance their creativity like a muse. The more experienced bards no, not to overstay their welcome, lest they awaken cradling a skunk cabbage. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what a skunk cabbage is. It sounds not great to be yeah, awakened. Totally. You know skunk cabbages in Ohio? Is it just a cabbage? What so, is a skunk no, it, cabbage? It's, 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 it's like a large leafy uh, thing that grows mainly in forests. We get a uh-huh. lot of them up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but, uh, if you like disturb them or, or get too close to them, they smell like a skunk, um, so which so they're just a large leafy plant that smells like a skunk. That's legal. All right. So but brass dragons. Went way off of dragons there. Okay. For brass dragons and building one, they give you a D8 table of personality traits. Um, I've picked two for these. I don't ask for much in a conversation partner, just smile, occasionally nod and stay awake. And then hoarding knowledge is no fun. It's best when you can trade knowledge away for treasure. Cool. Which I think that's brilliant on their part. 
they're like the gossips of the dragons they're that nosy neighbor that knows everything God, i hate that neighbor <laughs> i hate those people i hate those people. i used to have a neighbor that commented on what time i would return home from work he'd be like oh man you're usually here like 45 minutes earlier than this i was like mind your damn business i can't stand that can't stand it Okay, and then for ideas, we get a D6 table. I have also picked two for this one. Um, the first one is the best way to show you value others is to learn as much as you can about them, which is labeled as good. And then the most hilarious thing about lesser creatures who think they're important is how outraged they get when I hurt them, which is labeled evil. I think you could really combine these two and make it even more evil. Like yeah. they're fishing for information and you think it's to be friends but it's really to hurt you in the end yeah it doesn't necessarily either one doesn't necessarily need to be as they've aligned it i think you can mm -hmm. yeah yeah this is like the evil talk show host or like a fox news note uh a correspondent who's like trying to get the gotcha moment right yeah. that, that's what this is and it bothers me it hurts me deep down that this is a metallic <laughs> dragon that has this I but that's argue. what i was saying like they made it so that you can flavor it in a different way if you want yeah. to it doesn't have to be good as good as good so with spells with these guys at young we get a dc of 13 they get creator destroy water and speak with animals Adult, they get a DC of 16 and they get suggestion. And then ancient, their DC goes to 18 and they get locate creature. Which and this I is on top of the previous level spells as well. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think these all fit. Create, destroy water because they're in like deserty areas, I believe. Um, speak with animals. They're going to want to talk to whoever they can. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I, I especially like locate creature because it's, <laughs> I want to speak to specifically this person, this person and they will never hide from me. Yeah. I will talk to them. I will find you. I will talk to you. You cannot dodge my calls forever. <laughs> okay. For adventure hooks, we get a D8 table. Um, offended by the sudden departure of a rude guest, a brass dragon rampages through a nearby settlement and demands the return of a treasure the guest stole. So typically they are very nice, but they will go on a rampage if you piss them off is, is what I got from that adventure hook. Oh yeah. For creature connections, which I think is my favorite part of all of these tables. Is yeah. The I actually, connections. Same. Same. Yeah. Um, Wormling, we get a D6 table captured by a band of gnolls. A brass dragon Wormling is patiently trying to teach the gnolls to speak Draconic. God, um, there's an uphill struggle. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Then young, we get another D6 table and it's a young brass dragon and a were tiger have become close friends as they try to keep a region safe from a growing horde of malicious gnolls. I think those two are interesting. Like it could have been the same encounter, but ended up very differently. And with them introducing the multiverse, like that could be a twist on in this multiverse it taught them and then this one it's hunting them but it's right. the same band of gnolls or or even it's a 10 weeks later kind of moment yeah. <laughs> where, where it's just like tried to teach them draconic and then they just got pissed off did now not that, work did not work <laughs> or what about i like the idea of the party leaving the brass dragon to it like he's like you go i'll fend them off and then they like check in later on and they're all sat around the campfire with the dragon and he's like let yep. me say it one more time <laughs> chowder it's then it's chowder then it's terry trying to teach us all how to say words yeah early problem 
bottle of water. It is bottle <laughs> of water. Given up, but even when I speak my- from the UK now, they're like, you just sound American or something. So my son says the bottle of water one, and it makes me laugh and think of Terry every time he does. <laughs> Terry, you're just becoming one of us now. You get to be a uncultured North American. I feel like, like I don't belong it, anywhere anymore. One of us. One of us. Okay, so adult, we get a D8 table. Um, I half brass dragon Yanti Abomination leads other Yanti in worshiping an adult brass dragon as a serpent god, much to the dragon's amusement. Can I just say what in the Matt Mercer is this bullshit? Like, holy, what is a half brass dragon Yanti Abomination? I what don't the know. shit is that? Wait, what kind of drugs were those parents on? That would be terrifying. Yeah, I want the artwork to that. I want to see what that looks like. <laughs> I want several several yes. different angles of artwork on that one. <laughs> Somebody post that on Reddit for me. Yes, please. <laughs> I'll remember to check, I promise. Um, and then ancient, we get a D4. An ancient brass dragon and an ancient blue dragon have a centuries-old rivalry, and each dragon manipulates adventures into harassing the other. And I see this as them like playing practical jokes, like just annoyed with the other one at this point and sending the adventures like, hey, go give uh, this blue dragon this note for me. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's like sealed and they have to yeah. go through all these like trials and tribulations. Like uh, they almost die. Everything uh-huh. to give it, it just says, fuck you or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like, then the blue dragon's like, that's cool. Hey, can you give uh, that dragon this thing for me? <laughs> <laughs> just, just a back and forth constantly. All right. So moving on to layers, uh, brass dragons like to build their layers in hot, dry, rocky areas, typically in desert canyons or ancient stone ruins. They often have to compete with blue dragons for territory, although they aren't much for burrowing like the blue dragons and prefer rocky areas or taking over long abandoned canyon fortresses. They like their layers well lit with plenty of windows and skylights and will spend time meticulously making grand halls and galleries with fine stonework to display their hoard. We are given a map that showcases all of these features starting with column guardians carved into warriors that watch over the entrance. I love that it specifically says the dragon has given them whimsical names and unique personalities. Um, The Grand Hall is at the deepest part of the canyon with wide archways and regal statues. There's a huge shaft in the ceiling that the dragon can climb up but not fly through. A larger shaft is in the rear for the dragon to fly in and out of. The dragon sword is in a partially collapsed chamber accessible by a shaft in the ceiling. Their lair includes a chamber unused by the dragon, but states it was recently, it has recently been used by perhaps a guest. There are four wells in the lair that provide fresh water to the dragon and its visitors, and also provide a bit of an alarm system. As stated in the monster manual, when a creature with an intelligence of three or higher comes within 30 feet of the well, the dragon becomes immediately aware of it. Cool. I took the book's word that it's in the monster manual. I did not look that up to verify. It is. It is. Yeah, we've covered that before. <laughs> okay. And for layer actions, we get three new layer actions with this guy. Um, the first is animate statues. 
The dragon chooses up to three statues in the lair that it can see. Each of these statues briefly animates and attacks one creature with five feet of it with a plus seven bonus to hit, dealing 3d6 bludgeoning damage. Then we have Blast of Wind. A mighty wind sweeps through the lair in a direction of the dragon's choice, blowing along a line 40 feet wide and 100 feet long. Each creature, except for the dragon, must succeed on a DC 15 strength save or be pushed 15 feet in the wind's direction and be knocked prone. Um, It says that gases and vapors are dispersed and unprotected flames extinguished. Protected flames have a 50% chance of being extinguished. And the dragon can choose to be pushed back if it's in this wind, but cannot be knocked prone. And then the last one is obscuring sand. Uh, Dust and sand fill the air within 120 feet of the dragon, making the area lightly obscured until initiative count 20 on the next round. Then we got our regional effects, which we have two. Um, Cloud Companion, a small wispy cloud follows non-evil creatures as they journey within six miles of the dragon's lair. It changes directions as the creature do, remaining interposed between them and the direct glare of the sun and grants them advantage on saving throws to resist the effects of extreme heat. I like this is a regional effect that's helpful. Like, yeah, you don't see many helpful regional effects, but I, I, I is... especially like how it like blocks direct line of the sun, and it's uh-huh. just the singular cloud that just travels with the party. It just all travels the time. your party, but it says specifically non-evil creatures. So if you have that like one party member that is evil, it just like there's just a hole in the cloud. That... Yeah, <laughs> fuck <laughs> like, that guy in particular. They don't get protected. Okay, this is also within six miles of the dragon's lair for all non-evil creatures. So yeah. how cloudy is it in this area, by the way? We just have constantly moving crowds following clouds following non-evil creatures within six miles. That's that's a lot of clouds. Yeah. Yeah. But and are they way up in the sky or are they just like Well, remember, all beasts are going to be pretty much neutral. Um, You're in the middle of a desert. So, I mean, your population percentage is low enough as it is. And most of the things in a desert are going, that aren't neutral, are going to be likely evil, like Abomination, like UNT and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, like, it'll be a really good way for a good party to be like, oh, man, there's there's help over there. We can get help from those guys over there. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. You know, you could locate something. Yeah. Somebody with it. Yeah, that's good. But. Does neutral count as non-evil? Yeah, it's non-evil. It's not I guess evil. that's true. Shit. Yeah. Over every single squirrel and like every snake. in the desert. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would maybe adjust that to good aligned. Otherwise, yeah. it's just going to be clouds everywhere that are moving constantly in different directions. Or a choice. Because a lot of them, it's the dragon can choose to mm. do this do this thing. So maybe yeah. not every one of them, but if the dragon knows you're in its area, it can choose to do that. This is also for, like, the regional effects only take place if you're a legendary dragon, which means you're an adult or you're high, like older, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're an adult, you're ancient, you're possibly a great worm. Like, there are things here that... Uh, I mean, it's not going to be that often that this happens. So, um, and by that point, your dragon's over 170 something, I think, for adults for a uh, brass. So you're not going to see this a lot. And they 100% would have control over who gets the clouds and who doesn't. 
Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't. Um, and then for the last regional effect, we have talkative denizens. Creatures within one mile of the dragon's lair find pleasure in hearing the sound of their own voices. The air is filled with a deafening chorus of birds and small animals, and sapient creatures talk extensively. Everybody's got a fucking podcast now. All Everybody's right, cool. got <laughs> within one mile of this dragon, everyone's got a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, for the brass dragon's treasure, they prefer gemstones that are yellow, orange, and brown, and precious art pieces made of brass. They also like pieces made of finely crafted organic materials like wood and textiles. They are known to give personalities and names to their treasures and can be found having entire conversations with a room filled with paintings or statues. Once they establish several layers, they will give each horde its own personality and travel between them to visit its different friends. Uh, we dragons are D&D nerds. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's me ha- being in six different campaigns and just <laughs> trapping yeah. between my friends. <laughs> we get a D10 table for art objects. Uh, and they did a really good job in this going with that description and giving them all like names and personalities in this table like they all had fun stories to them um a finely carved bust of a long dead human ruler which the dragon has named cornelius and argues with incessantly and a sculpture depicting a pot of dolphins leaping among stone waves all of which the dragon has named and imagines as pets My daughter picked that one out. I was like reading these to her and she was like, that one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's it for, for the Brass Dragons updates. What do you guys think? Excellent. Okay, well, uh, I asked the questions around here. You asked the questions. <laughs> so first of all, we'll roll. And then I have a series of three questions for you. But uh, I need to know your roll before we, get, before we do that. I got six. I'm at a nine. Fifteen. Nice. Pepperina, you're going to go first. What is okay. your favorite piece of new inspiration uh, about brass dragons i i did really like the helpful regional effect um that was the first time in my research i've seen a helpful effect so i did i did like that one yeah uh, for me it was the names all of their inanimate objects and uh things in their horde and yeah. just has conversations with them throughout the day like i just a dragon walks along like you go and you meet the dragon at his uh lair and you know, the barbarian or the paladin inevitably says something stupid. And you just see the brass dragon go, oh, can you believe this guy? And he's talking to a painting on the wall, <laughs> right? Like, I I, I love I love this little, like, tidbit. And yeah. I will use the shit out of this. Like, I, li- I really liked the Cornelius that it argues with. Like, this is just an inanimate object that it chooses to have arguments with. Yes. Uh, I like how we... we- you can have a very dangerous encounter with brass dragons now around their quirks and this conversation stuff and like their like with the statues and their um you know it it means that you could have like an adult or an ancient dragon and have a very enjoyable but fair maybe deadly encounter based on whether or not you insult them or offend them on how well you navigate these social encounters uh, within the within you know within the encounter, so I think that makes for a much more interesting encounters away from just trying to kill the dragon that you have no chance of killing. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that would be me. Okay, that's it for brass dragons. So let's move on to copper dragons. The so copper dragons are are usually quite even tempered and sociable, but they are well known for telling jokes, riddles, pulling pranks, 
me, I actually, I was saying this to Adam the other night, I fucking hate pranks, to be honest. Uh, I don't mind jokes, but if you cover me with feathers and I've got to get somewhere right now, that's not funny. We're friends off, okay, at that point. Uh, they, so, uh, yes, they do enjoy jokes, riddles. Uh, they enjoy funny stories or any type of good humor or wit, but they will become annoyed if somebody, say, doesn't laugh at their joke or, or doesn't take their prank, doesn't receive their pranks very well. That tells me I probably won't get on with Copper Dragons. And these habits have made them especially fond of bards uh, because bards will maybe appreciate this type of uh, engagement a little bit more. Um, and they are sometimes willing to set aside uh, a temporary separate space uh, in their lairs for them to provide entertainment and receive guests. Okay, let's take a look at Copper Dragons though. So the quote from, from Fizzbands, I knew a copper dragon who loved coining words. We have her to thank for words like organized, pillow, cognizant, virgin, and job, to name just a few. It would make her laugh to know how often people make these ridiculous combinations of sounds. I love how it's just regular words. You know, like <laughs> nobody had the word job uh, until, uh, until a copper dragon uh, came up with this. Just imagine okay, Fizzband sitting there, like, trying to find the weirdest consonants to, like, smash together. Right. Like, job. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Bowl. Bowl. Everybody's confused. What is this job? What is this job? That maybe jobs didn't exist before Copper Dragon created them. That's <laughs> okay. a grand prank thing yeah. on all of us. Yeah. Let's see work. how long they continue to leave, go somewhere for eight to 12 hours a day or something that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's look at building a copper dragon then. So we'll start off with some personality traits. You get a D8 table for this. Gives you direction to move in, right? So uh, a couple of examples. I enjoy games of all kinds, especially challenges of wit and intellect, and those I can decisively win. Or for a second one, I admire how brightly short-lived creatures shine before their lights go out. That is uh, worrying. <laughs> yeah, I picked that one up. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching. Yeah. Yeah. I love watching the life fade from their eyes. Uh, but for some uh, dragon ideals, some copper dragon ideals, the first one that jumped out to me was uh, beauty. So the ability to create, appreciate, and sustain beauty is the true measure of a creature of civilization. Maybe. I think, you know, that could be true to us as well. It's just where, where do we um, think individually where beauty lies? Is it in how food tastes? Is it in how music sounds? Is it in how you present yourself to the world? Uh, all of these things. For a second example, it could be cruelty. So existence is a cruel joke. Uh, you can either be in on the joke or made a fool by it. Mm. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. interesting. I do like mm. that, that. That that's something that you should post on your Facebook wall. Like that's that's with like a picture of Snoopy. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, let's take a look at the spells then. So uh, starting as a young dragon, their spell save DC is, is 13. They'll know lesser restoration and phantasmal force. I love phantasmal force. Basically, you can make a shape, a, a creature, something else that can um, it can only be perceived by the creature that is being targeted, uh, but it will interact with that creature in the way that that thing naturally would, like fire will still burn them, for example. Um, and as something happens, an effect of this, like if you create a bridge, the person will go to step on the bridge and they'll fall through it, obviously, and they'll hurt themselves, but they won't think the reason is because the bridge is fake. They will assume that the bridge is real no matter what. It must have been something else. Somebody must have pushed me because that bridge is certainly real. I think this ties right in with Copper Dragons. Um, as an adult dragon, you can add in Stone Shape. As an ancient dragon, you can add in Move Earth. 
All right, let's take a look at some uh, adventure hooks then. I picked two from the random table here. We get a, we get a D8 uh, random table. Uh, a reclusive, eccentric noble who sometimes employs adventurers turns out to be a copper dragon working through various uh, intermediaries. Oh, yeah, intermediaries, of course. I looked at that word as though I'd never heard it before. <laughs> sometimes working through various intermediaries. Or a second one, um, a message found in the Underdark was meant for a copper dragon who has believed for generations that the message's original bearer betrayed them. Ooh, interesting. Very cool. Very cool. All right, let me scroll down to my connected creatures here because I picked some out earlier. Okay, so let's do uh, each age category at a time. So for the wormling then, a connected creature, a copper dragon wormling follows a wizard everywhere, fascinated by prestidigitation tricks. Love it, sure. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what sparks it all off for this particular copper dragon. You know, it's uh, they get it's, it's it's Randall Park in the Marvel universe who like sees the up close magic. And then just slowly through like the next five Marvel shows, he's slowly getting better and like learning it himself. And he's just fascinated with like card tricks. Yeah. Like you can like see the movie montage of this happening and yeah, just this little right. wormling bouncing behind the wizard. <laughs> As a young dragon, they might advance to this. So the head of a local thieves guild is a young copper dragon who delights in tales of daring thefts and, um, and skims the best stolen art objects as tribute. As an adult, an adult copper dragon befriended a genie after granting the genie freedom. Now the two meet yearly to talk and exchange news. I love that as well, because that's like a, now you have two points of contact that will likely have the same knowledge uh, about things. And so as you're trying to gather information and so you can, that's two points of contact in the world now that you know, know the same things. So you can use that to your advantage. Oh, same things within a year, at least. Uh, for an ancient uh, an ancient copper dragon and an ancient red dragon have been playing a complex game of strategy for centuries, using whole communities as their pawns and nations as their game board. How oh, well that that's like a grand game of chess, where all the pieces. But between a copper and a red, like you don't see those two going up against each other fairly often. Well, yeah. well but I think it makes sense. You know, I think it makes sense. You know, this idea that. Um, you know, oh, reds are always more powerful than this. They're always more powerful. I don't think so. We know in nature, most likely, tigers are generally bigger than lions, but you can still have weaker and stronger variants of both. So it might be a situation where they they do, they may be closer to each other than we realize in, uh, in ability. Mm. Okay, uh, let's take a look at their layers. Okay, so copper dragons typically prefer dry uplands or hilltops, mountainous foothills, uh, where they can build their layers inside of caves or, or crags and tunnels. So they, they tend to have like a network of non-complex tunnels. The idea is that the copper dragon can easily get back to the same position without having to turn around in spot in, in, uh, in place. So they're, they're, they're not very complex. You can map it out quite easily. And once you've been around it a couple of times, you'll have the general idea of where to go. But it's so that uh, tactically it works to the copper dragon's advantage. There are concealed entrances. Uh, there will be secret doors uh, within the uh, within the lair, so that the copper dragon can get from one place to the other without the uh, the the visitors really understanding where they might be. Um, they uh, they will have their own horde chamber uh, as well. But the idea is it's essentially a very simple network of tunnels that will work towards the copper dragon's advantage. Okay, so let's take a look at some additional layer actions we have. I really like both of these. The first one is lapping gas. So the dragon chooses a point on the ground that it can see within 120 feet. A cloud of pink gas fills that area. It's a 20 foot radius. 
Um, it'll be a DC 15 wisdom saving throw that if you fail, you will be incapacitated with laughter, which is important until the end of your next turn. Okay. You are laughing. You are loud now. Mm-hmm. I Second like that. One. I was wondering what the spell list, why I didn't have like hideous laughter on it, but yeah, if that, right. If that's where like their it. layer actions, it makes sense. You, I also like the idea that you don't need to actually, if the rogue is hiding or something, which they will do. I know a lot of DMs for some reason don't let people hide during combat. It is an action you are allowed to try. Um, if you can't, if the dragon doesn't think they can locate them, they'll just drop this. It's wherever the laughing sound is. Oh, they're over there behind that rock. Great. Yeah. Um, torpid energy. So the dragon chooses a creature it can see within 120 feet of it. If the target fails, it's a DC 15 constitution saving throw. Uh, your speed is halved. And you cannot use reactions or bonus actions until the end of your next turn. Great. I'm all about uh, making the player, making your enemy uh, use their turn to react to your bullshit. And that is a good idea for that. Okay. So new regional effects then. Distant melodies. So the ethereal music of woodwinds and bells can be heard, uh, carried within the wind within one mile of the dragon's lair. You also have starlit stones. So standing stones are common on hilltops within one mile of a copper dragon's lair. And these stones will shed dim light in a 10 foot radius at night. However, if the dragon dies, the stones will remain there, uh, but they will no longer shed this light. Okay, so when it comes to treasures and so copper dragons, they they prefer, I guess, over gems, they will still like gems as most dragons do. They like burnished metals. So particularly those with a red uh, or yellow tones, tones to them, uh, in addition to gems. Uh, when it comes to like the art objects that you'll find around a copper dragon, I, I chose two: a jeweled cloak pin bearing the symbol of an ancient secret society. The second one is a complex puzzle box made of rare woods and inlaid with stone. And that, in a nutshell, is copper dragons. dragons. Let's roll again. I have an eight. I also got an eight. I got a two. Okay, Dan, let's roll off. Fifteen. Four. So Terry, your first question. What's my favorite piece of new inspiration about these dragons? It's the the layout of the layers, the maps. I, it gave me that simple network of tunnels, uh, of non-complex tunnels. Gave me like the the vibe of like the Pac-Man map, you know. Um, and the reason being that this is going to be great for causing the party to split themselves. All of the party's plans always are around the party being together. And as soon as you separate them, even in a small space, one's in one tunnel, one's in another tunnel, they suddenly start to feel very lonely and vulnerable and you can corner people. And that what's, that's what makes a great encounter is that, uh, that, that feeling of panic and helplessness of not being in control. And I think the way that this layer is mapped out, it is perfect for the Copper Dragon's advantage and it does not work well for a party that is trying to stay together. Um, for me... I actually like these new regional effects more than anything else because I love this uh, flavor gifts. There's there's no real mechanical boon to the regional effects. It's just the 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 soft melodic ethereal music as you're traveling. Right. Um, I I I want to imagine the party like you always have that one monk or ranger who's just got the better passive perception than everybody else who's just telling everybody, all right, well guys guys shut up. Stop talking about whatever inane bullshit of, you know, the wizard and sorcerer, who's the better spellcaster. I don't give a shit right now. Something's happening and it's weird. Yeah. Do you guys hear that? I think, I think it's there, right? Like I, and, and I love the fact that like these uh, uh, standing stones also are, are involved with all this and how they um, give off this dim light kind of guiding people through 
uh, the terrain. Like there's there's a lot of really cool, almost fey, almost occult level bullshit with this, which which tickles me. So I I, I like it. Um, I liked the I think it was the creature connection that talked about them running a um, thieves guild. Thieves guild, yeah, 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 yeah. So do you think that they would just see being a thief as practical jokes like ah, i stole that thing from you that you really 100 oh, like. yeah <laughs> like it's not necessarily that they're wanting to be thieves they're just playing a joke on you in their minds it's it's also a thieves guild not an uh-huh. assassin's guild like yeah. he's not sending people out there okay so go kill that guy and take his stuff no it's yeah. take his stuff wait you killed him why the fuck did you do that that ruins the joke yeah right? that's like, <laughs> nobody will ever laugh yeah. at that now yeah yeah He can't laugh if he's dead, guys. Hey, everyone. This is the moral center of the podcast, Dan. Now, I know we mention our donate button in every episode, and I know we talk about our fledgling little store that we slapped together in a drunken stupor. I know that times are tough for a lot of people, and I know that it's in relatively poor taste to ask for financial contributions. So I'm not going to do that. I mean, it's not like we have a Patreon and we don't do Kickstarter or GoFundMe campaigns. We haven't even been paid monetarily for any commercial spots we put together for other products in well over a year. So yeah, all the equipment, web hosting, books, and reference material comes out of our own pockets. Each episode takes about seven hours to produce, and Adam and I both have suffered through sleepless nights, screaming matches, and ever-graying beards and balding heads in order to provide this free podcast to whomsoever might benefit from it. And we haven't missed a week yet. I mean, sure, some projects are on unforeseen hiatuses, and We had to resort to Zoom calls during the pandemic, but we never missed a regular episode of the podcast. So while Adam and Terry and others would gladly soul whatever minuscule scraps of their souls they have left to beg for donations, I have what is called integrity, honor. I don't want you to go to our website at www.itsamimic.com to find a fancy little donate button, or click through the Labyrinthine store that you can find there to purchase It's Mimic brand items. Instead, I just want you to know that I love each and every one of you, and that we're currently debating auctioning off Brad's Friday night services to the highest bidder. So let's get back to this expensive and stressful episode and try to ignore the rumbling in our stomachs. Okay, Bronze Dragons, for those of you who don't know, they're curious and inquisitive. Uh, They do possess a strong sense of justice and they they typically will not tolerate any form of cruelty. So going with the Fisbin's quote, um, bronze dragons are the absolute worst at transforming themselves into human form. They always embellish with extra hair in all sorts of places. I applaud ingenuity, but in this matter, simpler is better. Hair in all sorts of extra places. That is... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the ambiguity, like the spe- specificity of the ambiguity in D&D 5e, and mm-hmm. holy shit. <laughs> yeah, so if you see an extra hairy person out there, they're probably a bronze dragon. That's going to bother me. <laughs> I don't do. Being a half-elf, I do yeah. not do hair. <laughs> All like, Italians are bronze dragons? Is that what oh, we're trying to say? I'll say to them nicely, your situation needs to be situated. Get a grip. <laughs> Okay, so building a bronze dragon, we again get a D8 table of personality traits. Um, My payment is a matter of principle, requiring even a small fee for my service allows those I help to preserve their dignity. It's really for your benefit. I like that, like, 
they want to get paid, but it's for you. It's for you that I'm taking your money. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for ideas, we get again, a D6 table. I never lie outright, though I choose my words carefully. I will fight to the death rather than break my word or abandon a comrade. And that is categorized as lawful, which I think that just pretty much sums up a bronze dragon Yeah. in that, in that sentence right there. Um, for their spells, at young, they get a DC of 14. They get beast sense, detect thoughts, and speak with animals. At adult, they have a DC of 17, and they get control water. And ancient, they get a DC of 20, and they get hero's feast. I, like I had to look that. up. Yeah, I had to look up Heroes Feast. I'd not um, seen it before. You play but... six games a week and haven't seen Heroes Feast. Before? I haven't seen Heroes Feast before. Oh man, it's I've the greatest. It. <laughs> I'll have to uh, incorporate that into one of my six games. <laughs> uh, for the adventuring hooks, we get another D8 table. The bronze dragon who protects a coastal nation is stricken by a curse. And the cure lies in a sunken temple the dragon destroyed generations ago. This is a really just like, it's a good hook for your party. Like if yeah. you don't know what like you want to do next, it's just a, it's a good classic hook. The dragon has a curse. You need to go get the thing. Yeah. For creature connections at a wormling, we get a D6 table. A flight of pseudo dragons has raised an orphan bronze dragon wormling who is quickly growing too large for the group's usual activities. Uh, young, we get another D6 table. A young bronze dragon and a Medusa have been enemies for so long that they've developed mutual respect, communicating by way of magical book that teleports back and forth between them. I like that, like frenemies. They've become frenemies over the like, years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it just like. like yeah yeah it's just shit posting on each other's walls like is that all yeah. it is uh, i don't well it says they have a mutual respect so it's <laughs> like i, I, I have a lot of mutual respect for yeah. friends and i just throw shit mean that all the time <laughs> all the time um adult we get a d8 table an adult bronze dragon Attempting to raise a clutch of wormlings alone is in desperate need of tutors and babysitters who can survive the assignment. I do like also knowing that a group of pseudo dragons is a flight and a group of wormlings is a clutch. Yeah. Like I like that they assigned them their own things, but that would be a really funny like post on your quest board is I need a babysitter. <laughs> for all of these dragons and that's now your adventures problem is i need you to teach these wormlings because i don't have time i've got a war over here to deal with yeah. nice because the copper dragon invented jobs and yeah <laughs> and now now i'm a working mom with all these kids for ancient we get a d4 table two ancient dragons one bronze and one silver support different nations locked in a war each believing that their side has the moral high ground i i like this as like it's all perspective good evil you know bad who's right and wrong it's all perspective you have like the two most good fair dragons here mm -hmm. on opposite sides of it because mm -hmm. they see it differently one person's villains another person's hero and the yeah. winner writes the history right so yeah doesn't mean you're the good guy because you win yeah so for the layers bronze dragons prefer their layers near the coast usually rocky and inaccessible some like it dry while others like it wet but most will have their layers in partially submerged 
in the sea with drive dry caves included along the coastline. While other dragons spend time decorating their lairs, bronze dragons prefer function and choose their lairs based on the best defensive standpoint. They look for existing stone cliffs and fortresses and reinforce them with clever traps. So keep that in mind should you ever go looking to visit one. At the end of the day, they know that they are their best defense, so they make sure to have plenty of areas to get in and out of their lair as needed. To show off all of these features, we are given a map of sea caves that once was a dwarven military outpost. The first thing we see is a statue of an elf queen watching over a small beach. The eyes are magically warded to let the dragon know of intruders. Just past the beach, we have a campaign chamber where the dragon grants audiences and has meetings of war. It is surrounded with trophies to remind everyone just how heroic the dragon is. As one of the dry chambers, there is a lofty alcove that can be used to house guests and is a library for things too delicate to survive underwater. On a separate island, there is an elevated island larder in case of a siege. It is lined with mirrors so the dragon can see the entire seascape unnoticed. There are two watery caves here that you can only get to through submerged tunnels hidden with seaweed. One is where the dragon sleeps and the other is where it contains most of its hoard. For the additional layer actions, we get three different ones. Uh, Ocean's Call, the dragon conjures a swarm of spectral dolphins. Each creature in the water within 120 feet of the dragon must succeed on a DC 15 deck save or takes 1d6 slashing damage and then the swarm vanishes. Imagine just like a bunch of dolphins come out of nowhere, beat you up and then disappear. Yeah. <laughs> what the shit just happened? <laughs> um, salt burst. The dragon chooses a point it could see in their lair. The air in a 20 foot radius sphere centered on that point First, with abrasive salt crystals, each creature in the area must succeed a DC 15 deck save or take 3d6 slashing damage. And whelming water, the dragon causes a strong current to course through the water in its lair. The dragon chooses any number of creatures it can see that are standing or swimming in the water within 120 feet of it. Uh, each chosen creature must succeed on a DC 15 strength save or be knocked prone. That one's interesting that it specifies they are chosen because a lot of the like wind wall and it doesn't matter. Like if you're in that area, it's affecting you. And yeah. this one, they can choose to like leave that guy standing should they yeah. want to. Then for regional effects, we get um, phantom escort, ghostly naval ships from an ancient armada appear escorting well-meaning creatures in need of the dragon's help towards the dragon's lair. Underwater pursuit, sailors glimpse the shadowy, illusory form of a dragon in the depths below them, keeping pace with their vessel. I most likely said that word wrong, but... No, you did. <laughs> you, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Unfalling of faithfulness, uh, Saviat creatures that spend a year within 10 miles of the dragon's lair find it nearly impossible to break a promise. Then for their treasure, a bronze dragon's treasure hoard is more of a trophy room with reminders of fallen foes and payment from grateful, great, and payments from grateful petitioners. Hmm. It is filled with loot from wars won and salvaged shipwrecks. 
They don't steal, however, are rarely denied a one-sided trade from merchant ships or sailors. Cool. Uh, for their art objects, again, a D10 table, uh, framed blueprints of a siege engine called the Moon Hammer, and an oversized key of living wood with seemingly natural whorls in the bark that form the words, for service not forgotten. That's cool. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. So that's well, it for my bronze dragons. I freaking love bronze dragons, man. Yeah, I like them too. Okay, let's roll. Using a red dice now. 11. 13. 16. Pepperina, you, you know, <laughs> as is tradition so far in the episode, the person who just spoke gets to answer their own question. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of inspiration about these uh, bronze dragons? I like just that it, it reinforces the, they're very military defensive their their entire layer is based on their being set up for defense they don't care about how pretty it is like other dragons do like they're very utilitarian right yes like they will spend time making traps not making a pretty chamber room to show off all their bottles Mm. you know um so i like that like it's very different than a lot of the other dragons that i've covered and that like they don't care about how it looks they you can spend more time as a dm setting up the traps and the how do you get into this and it's a whole puzzle situation to Mm -hmm. even get to the layer and it's kind of like a vetting process too right like in order to talk to the dragon you have to make it through the gauntlet Uh right and now that you've made it through the gauntlet okay you're worthy of my discussion like let's let's have a conversation now as you bleed on my floor can you stop that (laughs) like yeah let's see what you need now yeah um for me i am running a pirate campaign right now that had a bunch of bronze dragons just get straight up murdered um uh and bronze dragonborn get straight up murdered and the bronze dragonborn are very militaristic very um like they were the defenders of this one region during a great war there's there's a lore and a lot of my players don't listen to this. So I, I, I can say with confidence that um, there is an item that they are going to go get where they have to uh, find a bronze dragon. Um, mm-hmm. And this just gave me a bunch more ammunition to kind of throw at them in terms of cool little settings and scenes with all of this, like the illusory dragons uh, floating under the water or the, the host of spectral ships guiding them. And these things are, are really cool. And and I'm I'm going to use them because they 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 fit my campaign mm-hmm. uh, like shockingly well. Like I, I did not I did not realize how well that this was. I was just like bronze dragon, sure, why not? They're near the shore. They have got boats, but uh, this this fits very well. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love this regional effect of the un, uh, unfailing faithfulness. Where if you spend a, you know a year there within ten miles, which is a long way of the dragon's lair, you find it almost impossible to break a promise. You think of the amount of contracts that have been written, uh, marriages, oaths, off the cuff promises. Hey, man, I won't lay down a promise like that type of thing. And then how that is going to shape a campaign. You know, your escort, the people that you're relying to get you to a particular place. Imagine being the party and getting into the cave, and then finding the contract that these sailors signed to say that they will work for the for this particular dragon. You turn around, it's swords drawn. You've been stabbed in the back. That type of thing, where or you know, uh, people will will be willing to to go to extreme lengths to do awful things because they must 
stand by this promise that they made six months ago or something. Uh, you know, I think that it's going to create new kind of levels of extreme for, for a campaign. So I love that one. I'd use that a lot. Cool. Okay, perf. Um, let's move on to Sylv. That's what people are saying. Now, are yeah. you sure? <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're right. because I've no. not heard anybody say that. Well, it's because you two are old. And I am not yet considered old. So I have a 12-year-old. He keeps me up to date on the new words. Does your 12-year-old say perf? No, he does not. Okay. There's probably uh, a lot of Fortnite dances, though. Or wait, is Fortnite still a thing? Not for him, it's not. No. God, what? For him, that's old news. No. Of course, of course yeah. it is. All right. Dan, let's move on to Silver Dragons. I understand, shockingly that this may be yours. Dan, why don't you try and convince us that Silver Dragons are not annoying one more time? Oh, I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to do well because the stuff that FizzBands has given us for Silver Dragons just kind of, one, ups my love for that. <laughs> but does not rectify that Terry will find this incredibly annoying. I fucking yeah. hate Because it just reminds me of people that I know that are like this. Yeah, me. Only than that, people I want to kick them down yeah. the stairs. Right, That's well, sort of what it did for me with brass dragons because I consider myself a brass dragon and I'm like, this is super annoying and I also do it. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, Fizzbands opens up his coverage of silver dragons with a silver dragons are the best of the best kind of dragons, which I, which personally I agree with, but they just get it, you know? No, they don't. And, and I love that Fizzband has the, they just get it, you know? question like yes you know, they do fun. silver dragons just get it so um when you want to create your own silver dragon like the other options given to us for uh the other dragons we've heard so far there are two tables that uh give you some ideas for the personality and ideals for silvers if you roll uh your d8 you can choose options like i'm an epicurean and i live to eat all the delightful foods people concoct or um I like coming up with new disguises to use among the small folk. It makes me feel clever. <laughs> Terry? Yeah, I still hate them. I hate these people. I fucking hate these people. I hate these people. Okay. Even when you said they just get it, I was like, they think they get it. But 98% <laughs> of the fucking world hates them. Well, let's move on to their ideals, Terry. There's a D6 table here. Um, and you get things like sensualism. I savor the world and consume its myriad delights with appropriate gratitude. Alternatively, you have all the world is a stage and it is both my purpose and my pleasure to give an excellent performance. This is the guile ideal. Like these guys are um, amazing. I, I want to read one more because we have said like there's there's some ideas that may kind of make these guys evil and Silvers get the idea of ownership, which says this town, these families, this world, I've spent centuries watching over them and they belong to me. Like it's just... <laughs> terrifying nobody can see terry's disapproving no he's just shaking his head <laughs> shaking his head yeah i know I his it. arms crossed his head shaking mm -mm. yeah <laughs> these um, are the people that are uh, i wish it really was medieval times because i would remove their heads or make them eat a bag of golf teas or i would hurt i would hurt them to make them realize that the only reason they can maintain this level of perceived superiority is because there's certain things in place now which means i can't take your fucking head off because nobody likes you okay, <laughs> carry on dan so you'd go black dragon on the silver dragons oh you just to make them realize <laughs> in, in an instant you're in not instant. as smart as you think you are 
you're not as precious or important as you think you are. There is more things going on in the world outside of you, and you're actually fucking useless. You're useless. You provide nothing other than you just try and make yourself seem great. Except the silver dragons back it up with the mechanics, man. Like I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. They do. Not worried. Right? They yeah, have they're... these elevated, uh, elevated opinions of themselves with good reason. Like they uh, are just that amazing. Anyways, um, in terms of spell casting, uh, <laughs> in terms of spell casting, um, silver dragons get a breakdown of spells like all the other dragons for when they're young, adult, or ancient. Their saves range from a 16 as a young silver dragon, which is a, by the way, a CR9 creature, uh, to a 21 for the CR23 ancient silver dragon. They all share uh, the spell's Beacon of Hope, which gives you advantage on wisdom and death saving throws, as well as maximized healing. So if you roll, if you like get a cure wound cast on you and it's a D8, you just count that as a full eight, okay? You don't even have to worry about it. Um, they also get calm emotions, which is a charisma save to each humanoid in a 40 foot sphere centered on a point up to 60 feet away. If it fails, that creature can experience one of two effects. You can either suppress any fear or charm effect or make a hostile creature indifferent. It, it's a good way to kind of put a stop to a fight. Um, and you also, uh, get hold person, um, which, uh, is a wisdom save or be paralyzed for a minute with concentration. And finally, Zona Truth, which was weird, which is a charisma save, or you cannot tell a lie or, or fabricate anything. So that's pretty cool. Adults uh, get to add Polymorph to this list, which we all know what Polymorph does. And Ancients can add Teleport to this list, which uh, just kind of ups their level of amazing power. Like Teleport's one of the best spells in the game, so it works. As for adventuring hooks, your silver dragon involves storylines can be a D8 of a roll away. Personally, I like the number three option, which is a disgraced, a disgraced knight has earned the enmity of a silver dragon for taking advantage of its kindness. These hooks uh, give you a whole slew of fun, exciting options to do with your silver dragons that do not involve them being that moral aloof dingus that you hate so much, Terry. There are a couple of adventure hooks here that kind of bring the silver dragon down to earth. That's okay. I'll let you, f I will no longer interject with my. <laughs> yes, you will. That's uh, because Dan just cast calm emotions on you. <laughs> so now I have to listen to this guy's fucking uneducated opinion on whatever political bullshit <laughs> going through this week the worst okay fine anyways now <laughs> continuing on to the next section silver dragons aren't isolationists and as such depending on the age of your dragon can have a connected creature closely tied to it most silver dragons like the friendship of intelligent well-intentioned people who are otherwise oblivious to its draconic heritage it just wants people who are nice and are friends with it not because it's a dragon but because they know who he is in his heart um, they also befriend somebody. I'm trying to piss off Terry now. They will also befriend someone who uh, they are certain can be a boon to the world if they could be convinced to change their ways. Some examples are for wormlings, and I rolled this ahead of time. I have a group of pseudo dragons who are, and I quote, besieged by a silver dragon wormling who is intent to teach the pseudo dragons poetry. That would be forcing your values on others. <laughs> <laughs> For a young silver dragon, we have a young royal who has shape-shifted, who has a shape-shifted silver as a friend, guiding the royal away from a seductive romantic prospect of whom the dragon is certain is either a succubus or an incubus in disguise. Same thing. 
As an adult, you can shift the connections up to a D8 table, and I roll the one, which is a silver dragon connected by hatred to a red who killed the party that the silver dragon had befriended, and now the silver dragon is on a vengeful warpath against that red, okay? Finally, for ancients, you have a D4 chart, which I guess is because there aren't so many ancient dragons. Um, I rolled a three, which features a silver dragon mournfully watching over a city of undead due to an oath it made to its original monarchs that while they still drew breath. So the silver made an oath and is keeping it to watch over the city. The city long has since passed and is now rampant and overrun with undead, but the silver is still there doing his job. I just thought that was cool as shit. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> as for layers, uh, silver dragon's layers typically up high amongst the clouds on the top of a mountain. You could climb or take a path up to the lair as the dragon is far more concerned with meeting and exceeding a person's expectations of itself than security or privacy. The lofty layers that a silver claims are also the favored territory of reds and other sorts of dragons. Um, so there's a lot of competition for these spots amongst their dragon draconic brethren. A silver cares deeply for appearance, obviously. So you can just expect their layers to be impressive and awe-inspiring sights whether through architecture, either built by the dragon, refurbished ruins, or contracted uh, con uh, construction, and be built of ivory, marble, gold, and with many, many rooms. There is uh, an example layer here which has some fun, inspiring kind of rooms, like a spire, and I'd say that a spire is pretty inspiring. Terry? No, a more disapproving <laughs> headshakes. You can have, seriously though, we can have a bridge that connects two peaks or uh, old towers in the Draconic Place of Rest, or a majestic dome temple filled with comfortable furnishings and tokens uh, slash reminders of the dragon's life. There could also be a broad stairway from the temple to the chasm below where it holds its glittering hoard. Either way, a silver's lair, if they're legendary, gains an additional action in fizz bands, and that is the icy grip action, which has a sudden supernatural chill fill the air. Each creature the dragon chooses that it could see within 100 feet of it makes a DC 15 con save or be restrained until initiative count 20 on the next turn. This is a layer action, it tracks. Um, if you're resistance to cold, you have advantage on the effect. If you're immune to cold, you're immune to this effect. Finally, uh, what does the silver dragon have in terms of treasure in its hoard? Well, grab a D10 and give it a roll and you will see items like a triptych of tapestries depicting the end of a war, the restoration work that followed and the sunset flight of a silver dragon leaving the renewed realm or an elaborate elven crown made to resemble a dragon's head. And that's what we got. There's your silver dragons. Beautiful. Okay, let's roll. We know where we're going here. 13. 19. 14. And as is tradition, please let us know how these silver dragons have inspired you. I, I really love... Silver Dragons, I've said that on, I think we've covered Silver Dragons multiple times now, and I always end up being on the episodes. They're my favorite type of dragon, so it makes yeah. sense. But uh, the thing I love the most about them um, is this uh, connection to their oath and being true to their word and holding true to this. Like this, uh, this idea of this dragon sitting over this undead city really inspired me to like just how much a promise means to a Silver Dragon, right? Um, and that promise we mentioned before is generational. If he makes a promise to you, he's making that promise to you and the rest of your lineage, right? So four generations down, that promise is going to be held by that silver dragon if it still exists. 
So um, this persistence of uh, um, keeping oaths is super cool with dragons, especially if they've made foolish oaths. And there's nothing saying that they won't make a foolish oath out mm-hmm. of passion because silver dragons are also extremely passionate creatures. So um, yeah, I, I, I love them. I love using them in my campaigns. So mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, was it me next? Yeah. I think what most inspires me about Silver Dragons really is everything that I, I hate about them. And I know I've, be, I've beaten this to death, but um, you it means you know what to expect from Silver Dragons. And this has been fleshed out with the maps here, with like the art objects, the whatever. Silver Dragons, to me, in my opinion, it's almost like it is not about the fact that I have decided it is good. It is as long as everybody sees that I am doing it. Look at this temple. Look at this beautiful lair I have. Make sure everybody knows it was me who saved them. I, you are lucky that I am here doing this good. Um, you know, and I, what that means is you, these people will always be on display. They will always be at the top of a mountain. They'll have a majestic temple. They'll have these spires. They're not going to hide. And so it can be actually easier to take advantage of that because there is no trickery. It's very important to this dragon that everybody sees them in the open doing these things, keeping this oath or whatever they have decided is important. Uh, so it means it's great for encounters uh, because it's very, um, you, you know, there's no, it, it's it's very obvious what's in front of you and you can just work around that environment. So you have great environments with the spires and the towers, the temples, um, you know, the bridges between them. So you can have great interesting encounters uh, where you know what to expect from the silver dragon and so it's a little bit more fun because you're not looking for like tricks and stuff yeah um mine sort of goes along with dan's with the like how long they hold on to a promise but also with the evil idea of the they belong to me so it starts off as this promise that they made that they're holding on to, but they hold on to it for so long and so hard. And it's so important to them that they can't let go Mm. of that promise and those people. And it almost turns into like a WandaVision sort of thing where they can entrap a city or something. And it's for your protection, guys. It's for your protection. You belong to me. I can't have you being hurt. They're like the ultimate helicopter parent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, no, 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 no. Nothing's going to hurt my little Timmy or his entire family. How long ago did Timmy die? Oh, like 400 years ago. Yeah. And his family is now an entire city worth of people. And I will protect all of them and nothing will ever hurt, hurt them. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That That's menacing. That's, that's. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, but that would make, that would be interesting following that helicopter parent thing because it would make for weaker generations. And so you can see the negative effects it will have. All of a sudden, these people have been protected so much. They can't handle any type of conflict. They can't do anything for themselves. They're barely able to operate. And so you'd have entire communities of people that are now completely dependent on this dragon, which I believe is exactly what a silver dragon wants. So just make sure everybody knows it was me. That's mm-hmm. silver dragon. Well, guys, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can and and debate this uh, great topic of uh, why silvers are the best metallic dragon. Um <laughs> Uh, that, that, the way you presented that question, Dan, was not fair. That was leading. Uh, yeah, intentionally. Anyways, you guys can go to Instagram, Facebook, or r slash it's mimic on Reddit to get a hold of us where we can discuss, you know, which is the best form of metallic dragons and white silver. Um, you could also send us a email at info at it's a mimic.com where you can include mailbag questions that we will add to our mailbag specials that come out once a quarter. 
Um, and uh, hopefully we'll roll uh, your question on the list and answer it. And any question is good. We've been asked everything. Some of them are concerning. Um, most of them are from Pepperina. So uh... <laughs> Adam said I get to ask a question at the end of every episode now. So just wait, because I, oh, have, good. I have them prepared. Oh, good. <laughs> Anyways, uh, guys, you could also please uh, throw a positive review on Apple, uh, on iTunes or on um, Google Play or any other of these rating uh, programs. It really helps us get word of the podcast out there to the community. Um, share it on social media. And of course, tell your friends uh, and your D&D party about us and um, get the word of the podcast out there. Perfect. Okay, let's move on to gold dragons and to remind everybody at home, gold dragons are considered to be the strongest and most majestic of the metallic dragons. And they are essentially the, ape the apex of the draconic race. Uh, they're graceful, they're wise, and they are relentless and dedicated foes of evil, injustice, and foul play. Written by a gold dragon. <laughs> Like, we are the best. We are the greatest. We are graceful and majestic. We are amazing. We are beautiful. We are rich and kind and charming. And we are perfect in every way. Written by me. Like, like just... <laughs> maybe, maybe. I might do that slightly differently to you. But that's okay. We, we, Your perspective on silver dragons is how I feel about gold dragons. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're on the same page. That's right. Sometimes things just rub you the wrong way. And I think. Yeah. As though I would ever mouth off to a silver dragon if I met one. Never. Okay. Uh, Fizban's quote. So Fizban says, Modrons have an inexplicable habit of mistaking gold dragons for their leader, Primus. The dragons don't mind and the Modrons don't seem to mind. So why do I find this so offensive? I wonder if this is to touch on the connection between Fizban and, ba and uh, Bahamut. As in, uh, for me, the way I kind of read this is, that is not the way that the Dragon King ever intended this to go. And it yeah. bothers him that they are both okay with this. But I don't know. I don't know about you. Okay, let's take a look at creating a gold dragon then. Let's look at some personality traits. So two that jumped out for me. I prefer to parlay before combat. If villains can be reformed without violence, all the better. Sure. Second one, I enjoy gifts, but find attempts to hire or bribe me deeply offensive. I like that too. For their spell casting, so a young gold dragon has a spell save DC of 17. That's very high. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have access to bless, cure wounds, slow, suggestion, and zone of truth. Uh, as an adult, their spell save DC will go up to 21. They can then access, in addition, commune. Is it geese, Dan? I know you guys. Guys, I was going to say guys, and then I didn't, I changed Oh, wait, it. wait, uh, G-E-A-S? Yeah. Oh, no, that's Geish. Geish? Yeah. I think I've all, just always said that wrong. Some nerd on the internet will be yelling at me. Uh, and as an ancient dragon, they get to add in plane shift and uh, word of recall. Cool. Word of recall's big. I don't think I've ever used it before, actually. All right, let's take a look at a couple of the uh, gold dragon adventure hooks then. So a gold dragon has decided to burn a plague-infected city to the ground, sacrificing the residents to limit the contagion spread. I love that one because there's a moral challenge there. Yeah. Secondly, a gold dragon demands reparations from a city whose rulers sent adventurers to steal from the gold dragon's horde. Remember, it is justice that is a big part of being a gold dragon. It's justice, not necessarily what the dragon decides to be good. Um, they're all about justice and balance. So for some connected creatures then, let me scroll down, I picked some here. Uh, for a wormling, I picked uh, number four, which is a band of centaurs makes pilgrimages to, uh, to a gold dragon wormling's lair, bring gifts of gems and knowledge. 
For young dragon, what did I choose for young dragon? Number four. Um, a gold dragon maintains a lair in a flying cloud giant citadel, winning the continued right to dwell there in repeated gambling games. I like that because it's uh, it still speaks to fairness for me. It's it's hey, this is the game, okay? If you win, you get it. If you don't, you don't. That's fairness. Yeah, my only problem with that one is that giants and dragons do not get along. Maybe, but to what extent? There's not get along like I'm going to suicide bomb your marketplace. Uh, yeah, no, like that that with... level of do not get along. There is uh, there is a war. Uh, it's the first sundering was between dragons and giants. And since then, they have hated each other, right? Uh, the only thing that I get a red and a dragon in the, uh, sorry, a red and a gold in the same room to fight together is a giant. So like, um, and, and almost specifically a cloud giant, because cloud giants are, uh, they're up there in the echelon of, right. like, in the ordning. So, like, oh, okay, I guess a gold would be a little bit more forgiving, especially since the war with giants was from ages past, but... I don't think they would be. I don't think they would be forgiving. The, why would um, they be forgiving? They're about fairness and justice. Yeah, okay, then why the fuck is it? So, like, I, I just, ah, uh, cloud giant, like, no, no, no. Well, <laughs> I, I guess that... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, uh, as an adult dragon, an adult gold dragon has sworn to destroy a Baylor who killed the dragon's mate. Justice lines up for me. And for an ancient, a solar who admires an ancient gold dragon campaigns to recruit the dragon into the service of the solar's god. Let's take a look at this. I, I like how a powerful angel is trying to get the, the help of a gold dragon. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, well, it can kind of line up. You can make that work. Oh, yeah. No, no, that, I like that. Like, I'm not being facetious. Like, that is oh, right. that is something that I really think is cool, how the, the Celestials are just, like, pulling on these guys going, hey, you can use your help. <laughs> uh, okay, let's take a look at their layers. It's worth noting that despite Gold Dragon's affection for people and their diverse cultures, Gold Dragons typically make their layers in actually very hidden places far from civilization, where only the most desperate and dedicated uh, creatures can find them. I like the way that they've included desperate in there. So we'll look at uh, some of their lair actions then. Uh, beguiling glow. So warm light fills a 30 foot radius sphere centered on the dragon. Each creature in that area must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or they will become charmed by the dragon until initiative count 20 on the next round. I love that for combat. If you can charm people who are trying to fight you, all of a sudden they're fighting other people. Uh, so we'll take a look at the, la at the uh, layout of the uh, of the lair then. So gold dragon lairs are very different to the other kind of lairs that we see sometimes where there's like networks of tunnels and they're in caves and that sort of stuff. These are very kind of regal areas with very specific places. Like there's a gallery, there's a deliberate, uh, well-maintained sleeping chamber, there's a treasury hall. Yes, there's the hall that is in case you didn't get my accent there there's a treasury hall there's a hoard and, and, a, and a vault there's a pantry there are apartments for visitors or staff and there's pavilions as well when it comes to regional effects they have um beneficent trails so within 10 miles of the dragon's lair small runes in the shape of a gold dragon uh, will appear uh, for creatures in great need marking a subtle trail leading to the dragon's lair they have emanation of justice, so creatures that spend a year within six miles of the dragon's lair will now value fairness and justice over their personal feelings. I like that. I'll work with that. 
I'll make that hurt people. Uh, liar's revelation, <laughs> within six miles of the dragon's lair, any creature attempting to tell a deliberate lie must succeed on DC 15 uh, charisma saving throw or find itself accidentally revealing the truth it was attempting to conceal. The first time a creature fails a saving throw, it is immune to this effect for 24 hours. So just to be clear on the rule there, it is a creature attempting to tell a deliberate lie. That doesn't mean uh, omitting the truth or, or just not speaking. They must be actively trying to tell a deliberate lie. Okay, so when it comes to treasures, uh, so gold, dra uh, gold dragons will consider gems and pearls as actually culinary delicacies. They will eat them, and they often have a section of their hoard that's as much as a, a, a pantry as it is a treasury. Uh, beyond such consumables, they prefer items they can learn from, whether that's uh, rare historical or metaphysical texts, mysterious relics uh, and curios or, or, or puzzles and uh, prophecies offering hints of the future. A couple of examples of some art objects we might find here would be a scroll covered with surrealist imagery. Uh, and it is entitled Voyage Through the Land of Dreams, sure. Or how about a black <laughs> dragon skull with a crack down the middle and gems fixed in its eye sockets? A plaque along the bottom reads, so too shall ye be. Oh, I love that. Cool. So too shall you shall ye be. Awesome. Okay, that's it for Gold Dragon. Should we roll some dice? Let's All talk right. about this. Let's go. 13. 15. Uh, I got a 17. What is with it? Like, okay, Terry, answer your question. Okay, uh, so my favorite uh, new piece of, uh, inspiration. It has to be that regional effect of not being able to, is it not being able to tell a lie? What did I say? Yeah, not being able to tell a deliberate lie. I think I could use that very well, um, you know, especially because it's not even when you're necessarily right in front of the dragon, it's within six miles. And so you can play on, I'm sure by this point, the party members have told lies to each other. They've lied to their NPCs. NPCs have lied to them. Uh, and this is where a lot of uh, reveals are going to come out. And uh, you're going to have uh, inter-party politics here and some new, some fresh wounds, I feel like, and some, some freshly pissed off characters right before they're supposed to work together to overcome whatever this encounter is going to be, like whether it's going to be a skill check thing or a social encounter that they must do well on a combat encounter with the gold dragon um you're gonna have these players already pissed off at each other and they're and realizing that maybe they can't trust people as they thought they could so i would definitely manipulate that was that next i think i was 15. okay yeah, yeah go ahead um okay so i don't know that this is inspiration but i had a thought um when you were talking about them eating their gems and stuff yeah. because we have covered previously that they're that a dragon's power from their horde and in order to get to legendary status have to have a certain amount of money so if they're yep. eating their gems does it still count depends if they're good with as them, part of their like does that subtract from their horde or does it still count as part of their horde if it's inside of them if i don't know did it? they did they break it down or does it just come back out does it stay within them i guess it kind of depends on that but i think also a gold dragon He's not going to just have depreciating assets. Yeah. As well, like, you know, maybe they've invested in real estate or something. <laughs> something, so. yeah. Yeah. Like something. Miss, missing a couple of gems isn't going to really hurt their bottom but line. But how much are they eating? You know, I don't know. That, oh, that, it would have to be tons yeah. of gems. And like it's measured based off of gold value, not based off weight, I guess. So it's like, yeah, it, it's the value of it. So yeah, if they're, they, if they're, they're eating, eating all their like most precious gems. Yeah. They eat based off pounds, not pounds, right? So, um, 
Terry, that I was don't... a British monetary joke for you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so the, the thing that also stuck out to me was if they're eating their gems and they're shitting them out, um, mm-hmm. they're shitting them out. So it's, if, if you are within like this 10 mile radius beneficent uh, uh, trail where like small runes in the shape of gold dragons, is it just piles of like glittery dragon shit that you're finding? That's like, oh man, the dragon must be near here. Like up here, if you see like a pile of crap that has a bunch of like berry seeds and stuff in it, you're like, there's a bear nearby. Yeah. You need to be mm-hmm. careful. I right. get, yeah. As a hunter, I get, I totally get that. Like that's just your trailing them. That's your ranger is like st- st- bowing down, kind of touching it. Oh, they've been here. Like it's still warm. Yeah, just like <laughs> uh, reaching into their bag to pull out mm-hmm. the elbow length leather glove. <laughs> they are now digging into the dragon shit and be like, this one's a colossal size one, guys. Or sorry, that's not a thing anymore. A gargantuan sized one, guys. Oh no. Can you imagine how different the scene in The Hobbit would have been? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shit everywhere. Uh, or, or hey, we really need to get some diamonds uh, <laughs> or a spell components. I guess we're going to go dig through the fecal matter. Yikes. Okay, well, I'm going to move on uh, from this to, <laughs> to um, something that I feel ha- should have been in 5e from the very beginning but we finally get it with fizz bands and that is the concept of the great worm dragons specifically the metallic great worms because this is the metallic episode uh, metallic great worms are the big daddy dragons that are chosen specifically by bahamut or an equivalent god to undergo this uh, specific and special metamorphosis to become a great worm you have to be deigned by a deity to become a great worm dragon the process involves some Doctor Strange level uh, horseshit as the metallic will fuse its consciousness, um, um, will fuse its uh, consciousness, its magic, and even sometimes the physical form of the echoes of that same dragon across the, quote, worlds of the material plane. Now, does this mean that the same dragon can exist in Greyhawk, Toril, Krill, and Eberron all at the same time? Because it seems like it does so this process could uh depending on the world even elevate the great worm into godhood granting it even further powers to say a metallic great worm is massive is a massive understatement they are some of the biggest living creatures in existence dwarfing all but the tarasque or an ancient primordial in size they control mighty elemental energies and the breath weapons deal damage on a legions sized area Fizzbands, his little quote says, call me biased, but the great part of the metallic great worm feels a bit redundant. It kind of goes without saying. And I agree. A metallic great worm is a CR 28 creature. It rocks an AC of 22 and up to 841 hit points. They can move, burrow, and swim uh, at a speed of 60 feet around and fly at 120, so twice as fast. Their strength, con, and charisma, and to a slightly lesser extent, their wisdom, are so much higher than your PC can ever even dream of achieving, and its saving throws are reminiscent of previous editions with a plus 11 dex, plus 17 saving throw on con, plus 13 int, and a plus 18 charisma saving throw. That's right. That is a plus 18 charisma saving throw. So if you're thinking this makes it weak against strength saves, it still gets a plus 10 to its save off the stat alone. So no, you're wrong. Um, they, 
they are additionally skilled in insight, perception, and persuasion with immunities to damage based off of their dragon types. So if they're a gold, it would be fire. If they're a silver, it would be cold. If they're a bronze, it would be lightning, like stuff like that. Um, they have true sight up to 120 feet, true sight. So you're not going invisible around it and have a passive, passive perception of 32. They do not require food or drink to live, um, which is probably for the best because of the last conversation we had, where can you imagine a great worm gold dragon shits? These are the things the size of mountains. They may have made mountains that now dwarves live and mine through. Uh, they get four legendary resistances uh, rolls a day. So even if it does fail on one of those saves, it just nopes its way out of at least four, uh, nopes its way out of it four times. Um, and once per rest should buy a miracle, and I'm not even sure that spell would do it, the dragon drops to zero hit points. It instead immediately re resets to 450 hit points, recharges its breath weapon, and regains all of its legendary resistances. It also, after awakening in this way, gains the mythic action for one hour and grants additional XP to a party that still manages to bring this bad Mama Jamma down. Now, we all use Milestone. You kill a metallic Great Worm, you're probably going to level if you're not already level 20, which you probably should be. Um, let's look at its actions. If you're still not dissuaded into fighting this damn thing. Um, it can multi-attack with one bite, which is a plus 18 attack bonus, 15 foot range, does 2d10 plus 10 piercing damage and 2d12 force damage, and two claws, which is the same attack bonus, 10 foot range with a 2d8 plus 10 slashing um, that will instantly grab any sort of creature that is huge or smaller with an escape DC of 20. Thankfully, it can only grapple one thing at a time. It can alternatively swing its tail as a separate action in and of itself for a uh, same attack bonus, 20 foot range, and a mountain of 2d10 plus 10 bludgeoning damage and a dc26 strength save or be knocked prone. It also uses its breath weapons. Yes, it's still a metallic dragon. It gets two. Um, these recharge on a five or six at the top of the dragon's turn, as is typical. Um, the first is a basic elemental attack based off its type. That is a 300-foot cone. 300-foot cone. This does 13d12 elemental damage unless you make a DC 25 dexterity save. You can also just knock everything that fails a DC 25 con save in a 300-foot cone unconscious for one minute. But don't worry, if you succeed on that last one, you'll still be awake. But you will still have disadvantage on all attacks and saves until the end of the Great Worm's next turn. If you do not get knocked out, you can, or sorry, if you do get knocked out, you can re-roll at the end of your uh, turn, at the end of each of your turns against that same 25 con DC. Finally, the dragon can use its action to shapeshift like all other metallics can to a, to a creature of medium or small size. This is important because it still retains its stats in all ways other than its size. So you can have a small, metallic great worm dragon running around what the fuck <laughs> it's it, let's be honest dan it's returning it into a gnome yeah oh 100 100 yes <laughs> there's that disapproving look again from terry <laughs> um now as a legendary action it can take uh it can at the end of up to three turns a full round make 
uh, choose to make a claw or a bite attack, which uses the same rules as before, or expend two of those uses to do a wing attack, which makes each creature within 30 feet take a DC 26 deck save or take 2d6 plus 10 bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. It could then fly half its speed, which by the way, half its speed is still 60 feet away. Um, now, if it is a mythic legendary great worm, because we're just adding a whole bunch of adjectives to this thing, it can also bite as a legendary action um, or spend two of those uses to do a shattering roar, which is like a breath attack, but makes each creature within 120 feet of the dragon, which is, you know, 120 foot radius. So massive area, make a con save or take a slew of thunder damage and be inca incapacitated until the end of the dragon's next turn. All of this should be on top of spells and various other minions and layer effects that the ancient dragon of the same type would get. There we go, metallic great worm dragons. Wow. Okay, let's roll initiative. I have different questions this time. Sure. Let's do it. Eight. Nine. Three. I'm going first on a nine. You're going first. So finally, finally <laughs> it happens. I'm the last one. Uh, okay, first question. Is this a worthy capstone for metallic dragons? Yes. Absolutely. I think this is on such a grand scale now that whatever kind of encounter you have is, is going to be hugely pumped up as well. This is level 20 characters uh, on the backs of adult dragons, 3D in a mountain range while the weather is changing all the time and there's a storm and there's whatever. Like we, we, we've given the DM permission now to ramp everything right up. You know, you have level 20 characters, so it's they're accustomed to working on this uh, this crazier scale, but it's going to, yeah, it's definitely worthy of that just for the, the encounters that you can have from this creature. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this thing's incredible. I mean, I would have loved to see a fuller spell list because it doesn't get its new additional spell list like we got. Right. But um, mm -hmm. that being said, I mean, just just when you're fighting this thing, you're dealing with gods, right? Like you are dealing literally with gods. There are gods in this game that are a lesser CR than this. So at this point, you're right. The DM could kind of take his gloves off and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as a DM, you could you could give it whatever spells you wanted to to flavor yeah. it. Absolutely, like I don't know that we necessarily need them to to spell that out for us. That no, you know, no. <laughs> you could you could just look at whatever high level spells you want right. and add it to this as thing, and the, it would track. <laughs> though the players are going to lose their mind because the Great Worm cast Bane or something. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's not yeah. in the spell or in the stat block. I've met players um, that would. I've met yeah. players that would. Well, hey, it's not the game for them then. No. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cool. Uh, how do we feel about the generic stat block for all metallics? I kind of touched on it earlier, but I want to reiterate this. The, I don't get too wrapped up in the generic stat block. Fifth edition is more about permission to flesh out themes and flesh out the exploration pillar. This generic stat block is a framework to operate within, but it allows us to be uh, flexible when trying to go like very big and grand or creative on, on the themes and the uh, exploration and the puzzle and the puzzles and stuff. So yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, yes, yeah, same. Uh, the flavor comes uh, with these guys with how you play them and the attitudes that you play them with. And you should know that if you're playing a copper great worm, it's gonna play different than a silver great worm. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's also the specifics does very it very clearly says based off elemental type right and that's all you really need I, I i'm okay with it yeah yeah i don't think we need five 
whole stat blocks right now because there's this one there's a metallic one there's a gym one that's 15 stat blocks for great worms and i don't think we need that many i no. think just just one and you can adapt it how you need i think is pretty good yeah right uh one piece of inspiration uh, about combat encounters with the great worm because everything is ramped up my big inspiration here is that the consequences must now be ramped up when that shattering roar goes off Yes, there's the constitution saving throw for the players and whatever their mounts or whatever they're doing, but also what you have to create bigger consequences is in does that create an avalanche which now destroys the village at the base of the mountain. Oh so, yeah, cool. Right. So you're you're thinking about bigger consequences now for the players where it's not just about them anymore. Every single action that they take may have a devastating consequence for whatever major battle our community is below them or around them or, or whatever yeah um i'm i'm my major combat inspiration for these guys would be don't i mean <laughs> don't do this thing that you're about to do you will lose run um, run, run is the <laughs> uh supplicate yourself to the dragon because you got aggressive and made a mistake you have made mistakes it is time to rectify those like do not fight this thing if you are fighting this thing I would assume that this thing is fighting on your side and you are not fighting against it unless you're playing an evil campaign, at which point you should probably have a chromatic great worm to kind of balance out that power because there's no way in hell your party is going to equal out a CR 28 or, or CR 29 or whatever these things are. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, just be very aware that as an individual in a party, you're, you're not going to really be a threat in any way to this guy. I mean, there are not any damage resistances outside of their normal elemental resistances. So your martial characters are going to do quite well. You're like, you'll be able to damage this thing, but it's got over 1200 total hit points. So what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Right. Um, so sure. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you have a monk that can run really far to get out of those 300 foot cone distances maybe yeah. hopefully I mean, you're in a place where you can run <laughs> run up hit it and then get out yeah, yeah. except the dragon moves 120 feet <laughs> like as a fly okay your dragon dashes Fuck. Yeah. okay what's uh, one piece of inspiration uh for exploration encounters with a great work okay this is my general rule with uh coming up with puzzles or kind of uh, skill checks or exploration type things um take a very simple concept and then exaggerate that concept to where it fits like within the tier of the game let's just use a, a stupid example imagine like a game of telephone if you're in like a tier one part of the game the challenge might be it's a simple concept it's telephone you have to pass a message between each other but maybe you're in like a really dark tunnel and you can't find something okay very difficult um if it's if you're going to do this simple concept with a great worm now well now you can blow this right up the same idea pass a message from person to person except maybe this is moving between planes and now you're trying to do this thing but now all of a sudden you're in pandemonium and now all of a sudden you're in the abyss and now all of a sudden you hear someone because we can blow it right up so it's not that you need to come up with overly complex uh, concepts simple concept and then let the tier or the level of the enemy um, decide how much you're going to exaggerate that simple concept yeah for me it's rem uh, remember that a dragon's regional effects happen regardless of whether the dragon wants them to or not they cannot suppress their regional effects there's some exceptions but for the most part they can't 
So if you have a great worm um, metallic dragon that has shapeshifted into just a member of a city who is, I mean, supremely powerful, all clearly has motives and stuff, these regional effects are still going to happen outside of it. So you could have a whole find the great worm dragon um, and they're really just, you know, the half elf that's sitting at the bar listening to the stories because they're they're a great worm brawn, uh, brass dragon, right? They're just listening to all the stories and loving every minute of it, right? Um, and 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 living in that life. Like I, I um, when it comes to explore exploration with these guys, it's going to be dealing with the effects that happen regardless of whether they want them to or not. Like that. Yeah, I would, um, I'd lean into the, the multiverse with exploration and then like chasing down their echoes and, and yeah. that whole thing. And what happened in this other universe after they absorbed that echo? Like what hole did that leave over there? Uh, yeah. I think you could really get into and watch, watch Loki, like yeah. the, the, the Disney plus show Loki uh, and like a, a variance just chasing stuff down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would, there's so much that you could explore in the whole expansion of the multiverse that this book is brought in um, and the echoes of the dragons and stuff. So I would lead into that for sure. Perfect. Okay, final one, uh, inspiration for social encounters with a great worm. I actually found this one very difficult to do. How like social encounters on a grand scale is hard. I found myself leaning back into the consequences of something, you know, each, uh, you know, where in tier one is a very simple back and forth and we're joking in the barge trying to shag a dragon and all that sort of stuff. But every question that you ask or every answer that you fail or whatever needs to have some sort of real grand consequence. And it can be in the plane that you're in right now. It can be in another plane. It can determine what assets you have or don't receive for a major battle. It can determine alliances, um, all kinds of like, um, kind of uh, determinations like that so i found myself just leaning into you just have to increase the consequences of uh, or the or or the reward of uh, to a real grand scale you just gave me like the best name for a tavern in a DD game unintentionally and i love you forever for it what is it the the shag and dragon's flagon like it's perfect <laughs> okay to touch on that real quick before you answer <laughs> Remember when I told you that those old strange names come from the fact that people used to not be able to read. So you would look for the sign that has the dog and duck on it. Okay. Yeah. We'd look for the sailor, but yours is a shagging dragon wagon. So, so it's a cup that with sign. a, with, yeah. with a horny, well-endowed dragon on the cover, like, uh, like embossed on it. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Two types of horns. So for my social encounter with these guys, I'm so ashamed of myself. <laughs> um, the uh, it's it's the same. Like when you're dealing with god level NPCs, which these guys really truly are. You're right, Terry. You kind of gotta think beyond the perspective of a mortal, right? Like when when literally nothing is ever going to kill you. Magic won't affect you the same way. You have. You are buddy buddy with a greater deity in Bahamut or Tiamat or whoever, right? It's it's a different playing field and you have to be aware of that. So you are not going into a social encounter to try to convince the great worm to do a thing. You are trying to, you are going into a social encounter with the great worm to, I don't know, get a piece of information from them. That's it, right? You're, you're not going to convince a great worm. It's made up its mind before you walked in the door. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And it's going to be a piece of information on a grand scale, like yeah. uh, the prophecy or yeah. something like that, right? 
So something Dan said sparked thought for this, and it wouldn't be a social Dragon, encounter. Dragon nope, it was before that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't listen to anything you said after that. So <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Terry didn't um, listen to anything I said before it, so you're good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it wouldn't be a social encounter with a great worm. It would be a social encounter about a great worm, and the being the evil party gathering the chromatic dragons to come and help you fight because they don't want this thing to exist it would be horrible for the chromatic dragons for this thing to to exist so i could see your party having to go and convince them like we really need your help this would be horrible for you if this came out i know you got this thing over here that you're doing and you don't like this guy but we need to work together and just like trying to convince them yeah to, to come to your side to help fight against this thing because you're not doing it on your own that you know what sure. automatically my mind went to like maybe you would have to go and convince the metallic dragons as that's kind of their job most of the time but yeah. <laughs> i i love the spin on that which is no it's for whatever instance for whatever reasoning mm -hmm. it's the chromatic dragons that you need their help and we will not do this unless you are involved in the fight because that's really high pressure like i said yeah. i love that i love it perfect okay any final thoughts from anyone before we wrap this thing up let's wrap it up all right, that wraps up this episode and some of the updates from Fizban's Treasury <laughs> of Dragons. But we're not done with dragons by a damn sight. There are a lot of other dragons in Dungeons and Dragons, so subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have in store for you in the future. The next time we circle back to dragons, we'll be diving into some updates in familiar waters and expanding on a particularly steamy kind of dragon. Next week, however, we're going to hop up into some good old plain fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So we talked a lot about the types of metallic dragons today, guys, and how powerful these guys can get. So since many metallics are fairly, fairly altruistic and helpful, what is one draconic flavored boon or gift the dragons you covered today would give the PC devoted to that dragon's cause? So like, what is one gift that your dragon would give a PC that is flavored for that dragon? Oh. Mm -mm. Okay. Are we rolling? Let's do it. 14. 15. All right, Peps. Okay. Um, well, I'll go with the brass dragon. They're, I mean, they're gonna give you like a sentient item of some sort that's gonna give you advice and tell you stories. <laughs> like <laughs> their their item is going to talk to you, whatever it is, and it's gonna like like give you advice or just cheer you on or just be random and possibly a pain in the ass to your party, but but it'll be powerful and do something for you. <laughs> <laughs> um a silver dragon would give you a title so you know how you guys could get that like get a square inch of land in scotland and call yourself a lord 
Oh, yeah. That is what a silver dragon is going to get you, except it's a full-on kingdom. And he's like, oh, man, like, your great, 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 great grandfather and I were besties. I swore to him I'd take care of his family. So here you go. Here's here's your distance inheritance that you never knew was coming. You can now afford to live in Vancouver. So like it's 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 that kind of thing. This might be fantasy, Dan, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Terry? Uh Copper Dragon is probably going to give you some kind of puzzle, or I think, or just a riddle in return. Like you solve the riddle to get the boon, and then they're like, here's another riddle. See you later. Enjoy that. <laughs> Your boon is a crossword puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll just be another puzzle to solve and that's your prize for getting the first puzzle correct. They give you a book of Sudoku. (laughs) So yeah, since I'm not allowed to send in mailbag questions anymore. You sent in a few. I a few. a few a few I'm uh, officially not allowed on mailbag episodes anymore so Adam said I could ask a question at the end of every dragon okay. episode okay um what this one's pretty mild so you can you can you can relax a little bit it's not going to involve a dragon <laughs> dragon flagon okay I can't no, it's relax because I really no, need it's not. Pee, so um what is the nerdiest everyday item that you own the nerdiest everyday item that I own yeah. The, oh, I need a minute to think. Um, you can, well, you can. We can roll. Okay, let's do it. An eight. Seven. Five. All right. The nerdiest everyday item I own. So, item that I use every day that is uh, nerdy. Yeah. Uh, ah, fuck. Um, I mean, I do carry a D twenty with me pretty much everywhere I go. But I have a set of mini dice in my purse. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. But in terms of like the nerdiest everyday item, um, I mean, that's a hard question. I'm struggling. What defines? <laughs> it doesn't you- have to be like an item you literally use every day, but like. What would be an everyday item? Like a wallet, like. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, something that's not specifically meant for not a mini, like not something you use in the game, but an average item that is nerdy. Um. Okay. Uh. I have a, uh, mine's just simply a mug and it's, it's nerdy, not in the traditional sense. Um, but my wife and I are both massive nerds. Um, and with, with pretty much a bunch of different passions, one of mine woodworking, which has caused uh, a fun little bit on the podcast. Thanks for that. Um, has, uh, spawned a mug that I got from a friend of mine that says sawdust is my man glitter on it. And it's a big fucking, it's a big fucking mug. And I love that fucking mug. So, so that thing is by far, it's, it's like my woodworker nerdy mug, um, mm-hmm. that, that I, every day I drink coffee out of it. The, the days where it's dirty and didn't get clean the previous morning are, are mornings full of anxiety and, uh, trouble. So, um, my nerdiest everyday item is a mug. The mug. <laughs> I do. I have a lot of nerdy mugs also. I actually have an It's a Mimic mug from the merch site. Oh, awesome. Um, But mine is also given to me by a friend and it is a dragon toilet paper holder that is in my bathroom that anybody who comes and plays D&D, that's the bathroom they use. So it's a black dragon toilet paper holder. <laughs> For acid damage. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. Oh, man. Um, I don't really have too many nerdy things. I guess what I have that other people don't have, I have like a, 
old newspapers from like uh like my family were quite a royalist family shock horror so like things from like the coronation and stuff and like things from the war that the queen was involved in and like i have like books on like the royal family and stuff like that like we're very royalist uh in our house so i guess that's uh some kind of nerdy stuff that uh, a lot of people don't usually have so cool that's right boys the brass dragon likes its bigger shafts in the rear god god damn it peps <laughs> i had to i had to did you did you actually i read that giggling the entire time you're still giggling about it <laughs> where was i at i lost, I lost my place. <laughs> now i will stop the recording thanks for listening bye